0: All right, welcome back to that Damn Sports Podcast. Um, we got a jam-packed episode um, for you today. We got all the NBA playoff series from um, the Heat upsetting the Bucks and and what it's going to look like with them against New York, already up one zero. Um, Lakers, Warriors, Steph LeBron at it again. Um, we'll talk more about the Sixers and the Celtics with the Embiid injury and and Harden who just put on an unbelievable performance to put them up one zero without Embiid. And are the Suns in trouble down two zero against Denver Nuggets? Um, And then we'll cover the NFL draft from which quarterback we think is under the most pressure, which team won the draft, um, and some sleeper picks from that draft. So full basketball, football episode for you today covering all things NBA playoffs, all things NFL draft. Um, So we'll get right into it. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of That Damn Sports Podcast. Play the damn song. All right, so um, for this one, we're gonna get started um, with the NBA, covering a lot of big headlines um, in the NBA playoffs. And then, as I said in the intro, um, we're gonna move to the NFL draft and some stuff in the NFL world. But first, this dropped. Our last episode dropped before Miami officially beat Milwaukee, and I'm not gonna really talk Miami here, but I know you saw it, Mikey, and I'm very curious to get your opinion because I thought it was laughable, and I, I was really surprised to see how many people. We're kind of commending him on this, this statement. But, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks with the number one seed in the East had the best record in the NBA, have won a title before. They're not getting any younger. Um, you have runner-up, defensive player of the year, Brooks Lopez, you have Drew Holiday, who's obviously one of the best perimeter defenders. You have Giannis, the best player in the world, and you have Chris Middleton, who is a all star. And you lose in the first round to the eight seeded Miami Heat, who are down without Tyler Hero. And Giannis gets asked if he if this year was a failure. And he gives this very animated response. Like he's upset about the question and says, it wasn't a failure. I'm just, I, you know, I think, you know, the the piece I'm talking about. Yeah. What do you think it was the season for the bucks of failure? I'll give you mine. Take in a second. I want to get yours.
1: Um, I think Giannis was just a little upset about how the, the question was worded. I mean, failure. I don't know if I would say it was a failure, but it, it wasn't what we expected from them. So, I, I, I go back and forth because when I first heard the question, I was like, "Yeah, it, it was a failure." Like you're expected to, you're the number one seed. You're expected to at least make it. And then you know he gave it that he gave that great answer. I thought it was it was a pretty good answer, but I think it was kind of a way out to basically put the blame on somebody, not to put the blame on anyone else, but to basically push off the question because when it comes down to it, it it was a failure. They're the number one seed. You got Giannis. You got a great team around you. If they would have made it and lost, I would have said it was a failure. Maybe if they even made it to the finals and lost, maybe it wasn't a failure. But to go out in the first round, I don't think you could sit here and say it wasn't a failure. Maybe it's not the correct word to use because it sounds like a failure. When I think of failure, it's like, okay, you guys were an awful team. This was an awful season. And they weren't. But they choked when it came, came down to it. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, Giannis, I get it. You don't like the question. But just be honest. You didn't do what you guys were expected to do. And in that case, I guess it is a failure, and he can't get mad at the question.
0: So I guess based on your response, again, depending on what your definition of failure is. Yeah. I think it's a hundred and ten percent failure, and I hated the response. You're the number one seed in the East. Okay. You have like I've already booked down all that stuff. You have the best player in the world. I know he wasn't MVP, but we all know Giannis is the best player in the world right now. Um you have an unbelievable defensive team or in terms of players. You have depth. You have everything. You have the one seed. The Heat are down their third best player, and they're the eight seed. And not only do you lose to them, you lose to one guy basically, and you lose in five games when people were pretty much shooing them in to at least be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you make it out of the first round. It is a failure, and this is going to cause a lot of issues for Milwaukee. Because now Chris Middleton is a, is a free agent. Brooks Lopez is a free agent. Drew Holiday's not getting any younger. Giannis is I'm not Giannis isn't old, but he's not getting any younger either. This could end up being a a devastating blow to the Milwaukee Bucks for years to come. This might have been one of their last big windows well, to, unless to they do fair, get a big game.
1: To be fair, Giannis did miss a, a portion of that series. I think if Giannis was completely healthy and was able to play every single game at full strength i i would say they probably win so when you look at it from that aspect i know it's kind of making an excuse here but to play devil's advocate if giannis was completely healthy do you do you think the heat still win that i'm not entirely sure that they that they do yes
0: he still in his game in his game back from his injury he had a triple double giannis was not playing any was not playing like an injured person and to add on to it the only game the bucks won in that series was a game he didn't play a single minute and, and, and in his don't, two I, games he played, he didn't just play. He played really well. He did not look like an injured guy. You watched that, Giannis did not look injured whatsoever. And the only game that he won was a game when he didn't play at all. It was game two. So, yes, I still think Miami wins that. And, and it's not Giannis' fault. I think it's coaching. I think Mike Budenholzer, you got to make the – you know, basketball's not like football, where you could make the playoffs in football and you're probably still going to get rehired as a coach for the most part. Okay. In the NBA, you can make the playoffs and still get fired because there's expectations to every team. And Mike Boonholzer did a terrible job, did not throw multiple bodies at Jimmy. He kept Drew Holiday on Jimmy the entire time. He didn't make any adjustments to try to get Giannis to, to cover him more because I'm telling you, Giannis would have really disrupted um, Jimmy. He let Bam basically a point guard against Brooks Lopez, who's m- way less a- a- athletic, and Bam picked him apart in game five like that. That's where I think it comes down to. I just I, I wanted to address that one first because I know. You know, the playoffs moved on, and the Heat are already playing the Knicks right now. But to say that the Bucks' season was not a failure to me, I, I can't I can't justify it, honestly.
1: Well, I mean, it's tough because what they did in the regular season, I know what you do in the regular season doesn't matter once the playoff comes, but they did have a phenomenal regular season. So I don't think you can sit here and say their regular season was a failure. Their playoff performance was a, was a failure. And I'll say this. When I was watching Game 7, Game 5, sorry, Game 5, I was watching Game 5, It wasn't an outstanding performance. He was one-dimensional. I watched him. He struggled in the fourth quarter to get to the basket on multiple occasions. He could not shoot the ball. He was one-dimensional. He tried to drive in every time. And guess what? They fouled him, and I guarantee you they didn't on purpose because he can't make his free throws either. Mm. Giannis did not. like. I, I don't care that Giannis dropped 35. In that fourth quarter, Giannis did not look good.
0: No, and it's a great – you brought up a good point with the free throws. The, well, the, the reason Giannis struggles is Giannis is – I mean, if we're being honest, Mikey, in terms of offense, he is one-dimensional. He's not a three-point shooter. He's a very bad three-point shooter, actually. He's not a good jump shooter. His He gets to the rim, and that's fine. When you're built like him you're that quick, fine. But he is really one-dimensional. So the Heat, if you were to watch the tape, the Heat just threw bodies at him. They yeah. dropped four in the paint and were just basically daring him to kick it out, and he wouldn't do it. And he kept getting fouled, and that's typically how Giannis lives. And he has not been a bad free throw shooter. I'm pretty sure when they won the title, he was like a 70% free throw shooter. Something and he hasn't happened.
1: He couldn't make his free throws.
0: He missed 13. That's the game. Yeah. yeah. That's the game. But also before we move on to the other stuff, and, and this is a great segue to my next our next talking point. And you texted me at this during this game, which for you to text me about a player I like is means he really impressed you. In that game five, that shot at the regulation, people want to say push off, whatever you want to say.
1: Dude, I don't care. Jimmy, I,
0: Jimmy Butler is that dude. Dude,
1: I, I was sitting there watching it, and I—I I think everyone in the world knew that Jimmy was going to get it right. We didn't know what way Jimmy was going to get it, but we knew it was gonna, the ball was going to be in Jimmy Butler's hands. And if it wasn't, oh my god, I don't know what the hell would have happened after, especially if they would have lost. But I remember them throwing it up, and when Jimmy caught it. I was like, "There's no way this is going in." I was like, "All right, no way, it's game over." And it fucking falls in, and I, I was lost for words. Dude, Jimmy can do in the playoffs. I I really have not seen anything like it. This guy, like, I texted him, I was like, "Dude, Jimmy, I guess does not try during the regular season because I don't see this type of player in the regular season from him." And then something he just turned to switch, and he's a completely different player.
0: Well, he's always good in the regular season. He's just not like he wasn't even all star. And, but also, you got to think, if he was this during an 82-game season, how good would you think he'd be in the playoffs? He really does save himself. He does a good job of it. At least he's not sitting
1: that, out, though. I said. I was like, he's smart. He, he saves himself, and he turns on during the playoffs. And back to what you were saying about the push-off, dude, I don't give a fuck. They were both on each other. It is the last play of the game. Let them have a little bit of contact as long as it wasn't anything crazy, which it wasn't. Did he push off a little bit? Yeah. Let's be honest here. He did. But were the defender's hands on Jimmy as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's fair game at that point. And it's and funny, it's still an incredible shot. I'm just shocked that that was the play they drew up. Well, and no, no means I think that was going to happen. The funny thing was they
0: drew up that play in a great, great play design. But apparently, a report came out in, in and it Jimmy. wasn't it wasn't supposed to go to Jimmy, and Jimmy basically yeah. said it's mine. Yeah, and that's what the great players do. Um, okay. But that leads me to my next point. Because we got a, we had a very interesting series with Miami and New York, two very physical, old r- 90s rivalry, very physical, defensive-oriented. And then you got, on the other side in the West, and the other underdog that that took out the two-seed, which really didn't feel like an underdog at all, but the seven-seeded Lakers against the Gold State Warriors who just knocked off the Kings in seven. And granted – so the, I look at both these series, two underdogs, but they're both dominated by two of – you can make a case for either one to be – The best player in the playoffs so far. So let me ask you this, and then we'll talk series. Who has been impressed you the most in the playoffs, Steph Curry or Jimmy Butler?
1: Oh, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy. I know what Steph is, and when Steph dropped a fifty point game, I was like, okay, that that is phenomenal. It's not downplay what Steph did in that game, but Jimmy Butler, the way this guy plays is is phenomenal. I mean the physicality he brings, the, the defensive side to the ball, which Steph does not bring to the table, unfortunately, because he's a smaller stature. But what Jimmy has been able to do and bring life into the Heat a eight, eight seed that nobody, nobody thought had a chance. I mean we all we all sat here and were like, okay, Golden State is probably going to win, right? It wasn't a shock that Golden State won. I think it was going to be more of a shock to me personally if Sacramento won, and some people may not feel that way, but it, to me it was like that. For for the Heat to win, it was a it was a shock because I did not think with Giannis and that team around them that they're gonna have a, that they were gonna have a chance. And what Jimmy did, I, I, like watching that game, I felt like I was like, this is awesome. Like this is people don't do these Play, players do not do this in the playoffs. Not not a lot. And I get to watch this. So by far, Jimmy Butler. I know what Steph is. Steph is a great player, but we've seen it time and time again from Steph from Jimmy. It's it's just something a little bit different.
0: So the only reason I – and I'm saying Jimmy too, but I will say – I'll give Steph credit. 50 points in a game seven on the road, unreal. I on
1: downplay, but
0: – Yeah, no, no, no. And I guess the reason I give it to Jimmy right now is he does it on both ends. Yes, the the big points are incredible, and he's averaging 37, I believe, right now in the playoffs. But he does it on both ends. If you watch – and you got to really watch basketball and really know basketball to see the impact he has on every aspect of of the floor. Steph, I don't think, has as big of an impact defensively. Now, granted, he's a point yard, and that's fair. But what Jimmy's been able to do on both ends of the floor – and his game is not like Steph's. Where Steph gets 50 points, but he's, he's a jump shooter. Jimmy just yeah. just Jimmy just gets to the rim and he ma- he makes shots when he has to and he does stuff that's unconventional like Jimmy in game four hitting step back threes and in, in the fourth quarter in crunch time that that's him going out of his element but when you're that good of a player you can make any shot at any point you know and and that's what I think it impresses me the most because Jimmy's not doing that in the regular season he pull, he shoots that same shot in the regular season it's not going in it, it's 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 go ahead
1: I think that's that's exactly what I like you brought up a great point that's what I was kind of kind of talking about was when Steph gets 50 points, we all know how Steph's getting his 50 points, right? It's those crazy three-shot plays. He's, he creates space. He's able to drive in and create space. But with Jimmy, it was a it was a combination of everything. And that's not Jimmy's game. Like you said, Jimmy doesn't shoot threes. If Jimmy has to the playoffs, damn it, Jimmy's going to do it. And just the physicality he brings to the game when he drives into that paint, like every time he was driving into the paint, there was someone around his back. And I was like, there's no way Jimmy's going to be able to make this. And what does he do? He makes it. It's just a combination of everything he put together for those points to accumulate. It was, it was outstanding.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it it was something that even if Miami loses this series to the Knicks, I'll remember that series and Jimmy's performance as a heat fan. It's going to go down in heat history just because of, you know, one being the eight seed and two, it was just something that we haven't seen honestly, since LeBron or D Wade, where it was in a Miami heat jer- Jersey. Um, so quickly, and then we'll move on to the to the other two series that are going on. Um, okay, Miami's up 1-0. You know, Jimmy's got the ankle. Up. Shams reported that Jimmy's ankle, how bad it looked, was not actually as bad as it is, and that he is still a game-time decision. Um, and then in the other series, uh, they, they start tonight at the Lakers and the Warriors. Knowing Miami's up 1-0, but, you know, Jimmy's hurt. And then the other series hasn't started yet. Give me your quick predictions. How many games and who
1: wins both those series? Uh, I'm, uh, can you tell me how many games Julius Randle's out? I'm so not he he sure. is a game
0: time he's a game time decision tonight. But I think he is going to play because I think New York knows if they go down to O to Miami tonight, it's over.
1: Yeah, uh, I would take the Heat in six. I think especially if Jimmy's healthy, I would take the Heat in six. I think if Jimmy misses one to two games, I think it could push to game seven because I do think New York stacks up very well against each other. That it's the same type of play style I think with both teams. So, but I would overall take. I'm taking the best player on that court. And if he can beat the Bucks and he's healthy, I think he could take him with the Knicks. So I'd say game, I would say it goes six games in favor of the Heat. And then for the Lakers and Warriors, this one's tough. I'm going to stick with my pick. I like the Warriors. I think it goes down to game seven, though. I think it's closer. I think they're not going to have an answer for LeBron. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to have a hard time defensively matching up with LeBron, even though he didn't look great this, the, this past series. And then Anthony Davis, if he can continue what he's doing. I think Looney's going to have a tough time guarding him because Looney was averaging like 17 rebounds against Sacramento. I, that's not going to happen with Anthony Davis. It, it's it's just not. So I think they're the Warriors don't stack up to the physicality of the Lakers. But I think with Steph, Draymond, and Clay I, and Jordan Poole, you can't always count out Jordan Poole. I don't think the Lakers can stop that offense. So I would take the I would take the Warriors in seven.
0: So we have the same picks but in different games. So. Now, granted, the time of this recording is is Tuesday, so Miami and New York plays tonight, so by the time this episode drops, this game will be over, so we'll see if I'm right on this prediction. I really hope I'm wrong, but I think Miami is going to punt and basically say, you know, you did our job, we got one on the road, because you know in basketball, they just want to get one on the road, because then you flip home court. I think Miami's going to say, you know what, we got one, we got our job done. Let's rest Jimmy. They don't play all the way until Saturday. Give him basically five and a half days of rest. And honestly, tonight we're probably going to lose. So I think Miami wins the series ultimately and gives Jimmy that rest. But I think this goes to seven, and Jimmy does it in Madison Square Garden. In the other series, I just – I know they struggled against Sacramento, but Sacramento is a good team. I don't think LeBron is has enough help around him to beat the Golden State Warriors, and I like Golden State in six. Um, now. We'll see if we're right. I hope, I'm hoping Miami does not punt, I'm hoping Jimmy's 100%. He comes out tonight, and we take two on the road, and then it's heat and five again. But we'll see. Um, well, and that's the thing about the playoffs with the podcast. You know, it's kind of weird because we don't drop every other day. Um, it's not giving you guys good quality. Um, so it's kind of hard to make these predictions because, you know, by the time you hear this, Miami might have already won be at 2-0. But just an example. But we got to cover it. So moving on to our next one in the east. Last night, um, or Monday night, the Sixers. Took down Boston and James Harden pulled out a James Harden, an old James Harden display, having forty five points. Tyrese Maxey with twenty six, um, and Tatum. But then on the other side of the ball, you know, when I saw this because I didn't get to see this game live, unfortunately, when I saw this, I was like, okay, this had to be a struggle from Tatum or Brown or whatever. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Malcolm Brogdon combined for eighty plus points. Yeah. So, let me ask you this, Mikey, because you know Embiid's hobbled, but obviously it didn't seem to matter too much, um, and Harden played like a Harden, I don't think either one of us expected because we've both been very critical of James Harden. Mm -hmm. Do the Sixers have a chance in the series even if Embiid is not 100% or do you think this was just one of those things where Harden caught fire?
1: If Embiid's not 100% and Embiid misses, let's say, the next game or so, maybe two games, I don't think they do. I don't think James Harden, as as great a performance as as he put on, I don't think James Harden is doing that back-to-back games. And I think they're going to need that from him consistently without Embiid to win. We saw what Jason Tatum did against the Hawks. I mean, almost every game he was putting up 30 pieces, and it looked easy. James Harden is going to get you 50 to 20 points, probably have a couple bad shots in there, but is still a good player, but he is not enough without Embiid to beat the Celtics. If Embiid comes back and is entirely healthy, different story. I think the 76ers could take it. Would I pick them? I'm not entirely sure right now. I still think the Celtics are better, but especially if Embiid's out, I'm not counting on James Harden to give me a 45-piece game every single time
0: for five to seven games yeah uh and i I mean very similar because well i look at it too though and without him i would agree because i mean he's the mvp i mean that'll get announced tonight um on tuesday but he's the mvp but then i look and it's like well tatum brown and brogdon did their job for the most part and still wasn't enough. I'm looking at other guys. Okay, that's that's what my takeaway from this is. Boston, and I said this uh, before, I said this a while ago. The Celtics are going to need help from more guys other than just Tatum and Brown. Now, Malcolm Brogdon did provide that, um, six man of the year, but they need more. Um, I did see, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere where um, Marcus Smart got hurt, but they actually played 35 minutes, only had 12 points. I need more from him. Um, twenty-seven points or twenty-seven minutes. I um, mean, only four points for Derek White. Need more from him. Al Horford, thirty minutes, only eleven points. You know, Robert Williams, twenty minutes, six points. The Celtics can't win this in a two-man race, or or we'll say two and a half, three with Brogdon. The Celtics, they are my pick to win the whole thing. Okay, that, that's my pick to win the the entire thing. But without with with no help from either Tatum or for Tatum and Brown, I don't think the Celtics have a chance. Um, because it's just too much to ask when when three guys put up eighty plus points and you still lose, it's a red flag. Um, and and if Harden and I know Harden is not going to drop forty five a night, but he's still going to get contributions from a lot of other people. Um, so this series now is a lot closer than I thought. I originally was thinking this would maybe this could even be Boston in five if you asked me before, but I would probably go with six if I had to bet. Now I'm wondering if this is a seven game series. Um, and that's crazy for me to say knowing the health of Embiid. We will see, but we're going to need more performances and in, in, in scoring outputs from guys like Marcus Smart, Al Horford, um, Derek White, uh, someone else other than just Brown, Tatum, and Brogdon.
1: It's interesting because when Marcus Smart, he, he did this against the Hawks too. Uh, if you look at his box scores, the games that he did not play well when he was scoring around 10 to 12, and that's those are the games that they struggled against the Hawks. I mean – Let's face it, we all thought the Celtics were gonna win, but it, it was a lot closer than I was lead to believe. Like I didn't think the Hawks even stood a chance. But Marcus Smart in those games that they, they lost, he was not putting up a lot of points. And that's that's not his play style. He's more a defense player. But let's just face it, when you're going against the 76ers, especially with Embiid, you need Marcus Smart to have to have a good game. And he did have some good games against the Hawks where he put up 20 points. And I think if Marcus Smart's can Marcus Smart can consistently put up a solid amount of points that I think the Celtics will ultimately take it. But you're right. It comes down. It doesn't come down to Jason Tatum or really Jalen Brown. It comes down to these other players because we know Jalen Brown and, and and Jason Tatum at the end of the day are going to, are going to put up some points.
0: Yeah. And I just, I mean, here's the big thing for me. I think this was really come down to it because they lost by four. Keep in mind, they, the Celtics out rebounded the Sixers by 10 rebounds, which makes sense. No Embiid, and they have Robert Williams and Al Horford, they out-rebounded by 10, but the big issue was the Celtics turned the ball over 10 more times than the 76ers. They had 16 turnovers to the Sixers' six. Six turnovers is pretty, pretty good for a team to, in terms of keeping the ball. That was a huge factor, especially when you consider they only lost by four points. Um, this series is going to be a lot closer. It's going to be one I'm going to keep my eye on because I did not expect Boston um, to struggle. And granted, they didn't really struggle, but I'm just saying without Embiid, if you'd have told was me about- yeah, it was a close game, but when you put in the fact that Embiid didn't play, yeah, you
1: know that kind of like changes. If, if you were to show me that score and I didn't know that Embiid was out, i be like, okay, well, it, it was a close game. Embiid's in; it's both good teams. But if you were to show me that score and I knew Embiid was out, I'd be like, Jason Tatum, like you said, I would be like Jason Tatum probably didn't have a good game. Jalen Brown probably didn't have a good game. So it, it's kind of scary to see that those guys had good games and they still lost.
0: And you brought it up before <laughs> the sh- you brought you brought it up before the show. If Tyreek's Maxi can give these kind of performances,
1: the Sixers Sixers are going to win the series. Like They didn't have an answer for him. Him driving to the basket, his quickness, they didn't have an answer. He was getting to the basket so quick and was able to make those shots. I mean, he played out of his mind. If he can continue playing like that with Embiid back, like you said, he got a shot to... To take
0: down Salton. And if he is able to do that with Embiid back, you're not you're not asking you don't have to ask James Harden to score 45 mm-hmm. again. You can ask James Harden just not- to, have, to have a good game. Maxie have a good game, Embiid have a good game, and you're gonna win the series. Um so the Sixers are a lot better than I th- give them credit for, but we're gonna see. Um, I still am sticking to my pick where I have Boston winning the entire thing. Um they're so deep. But so I'm not gonna throw in the towel yet. It's only one game, but very impressed by the Sixers in the series. This series is gonna be a lot closer than I think a lot of people would imagine. And then the last one. And the last series we'll get to before we get into our NFL coverage. And me and you have been, both of us have been very critical of the Denver Nuggets. I, I was pretty sure last series, yeah. we didn't eat last, last playoff series in the first round. We didn't even cover them because we made jokes about them. Yeah. They're up yeah. Uh, granted uh, as of Monday night, they're up two nothing at Phoenix. Now, both home games. But they're up 2-0. In Game 2, Durant had 24, but he did not look like Kevin Durant. He, st- he especially struggled in the first half. Devin Booker had, had continued his solid performances. he had 35. Jokic with 39. And what makes this even crazier is they lost in Jamal Murray, who torched them in Game 1, only had 10 points. So yep. let me ask you this, Mikey, because we've always been critical of the Nuggets, and they always struggle. And a team that everyone kind of picked in the West was either the Suns or the Warriors. Are The Nuggets, they're the one seed. They had the best record in the West. Jokic is playing like like he, he can carry a team in the playoffs. Are the Nuggets legit now? Uh, is this is this real? Because now the room for error for Phoenix is slim to none.
1: That, it, it, it's so tough because I really want to say yes, I really do. And they are up 2-0. If you would have asked me this when they were just up 1-0, I'd be like, no, it, it was one game. Get out of here. But that performance by Kevin Durant, I mean, 2-for-12 at the three-point line, that is not Kevin Durant-like. I don't know what's going on with Kevin Durant, but I'm not ready to to set sail on that ship yet. I think the Phoenix Suns are going to come back and they're going to beat down down on on the Nuggets. I'm not sold. I've seen it time and time again where we're like, all right, the Nuggets are good. The Nuggets are good. They're going to win. And Jokic put up 39 points. But you can't sit here and convince me if Jokic has to do that every single game. He's a great player. I think he could. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see Kevin Durant go 2-for-12. From the three-point line. I don't think it's going to happen. I would still put my money on the Phoenix Suns to come back and, and crawl their way. It's going to go to seven games, and it's going to be really close. But I would still take the Suns over the Nuggets. When you got Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, I mean, it's it's hard to bet against them. I get it's Jokic, and Jamal Murray is really good, but Michael Porter Jr. only put up five points. Jamal Murray put up ten points. If you tell me Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are going to put up ten, five points each, each game, there's no shot I'm taking those guys. So I'd rather put my money on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant.
0: So I think I, – I, you know, I love my predictions. I think Phoenix will win Game 3, but then Denver steals Game 4 on the road, and the series is over. It's 3-1 going back to Denver. And I'll say this too. Based on what I saw in the first round with Golden State and Sacramento, and I know Los Angeles looked great, but Memphis was is not a real two-seed, in my opinion, and they underperformed tremendously. I think whoever wins the series, even if Phoenix does pull it off, but I think Denver wins the series, and I think Denver or Phoenix is going to be whoever comes out of the other series. I think the winner of the series is going to make it to the finals, and I think Denver wins the series. Therefore, I think we're looking at Denver in the finals. Um, I just I, – I think it all happened a little too fast with Kevin Durant, and I think the Suns team is going to be very good in the future, even though Chris Paul is not getting any younger, um, but – they're not getting enough from DeAndre Ayton. Um, Chris Paul has, is is a good point guard, but he doesn't. He he's just not does not look like the Chris Paul in the finals run they had a few years ago when they lost to Milwaukee. Kevin Durant, you know, I he's a great player, but I just look at and, and a great player. He's one of the best players to ever live. And Devin Booker's played great. And he's been one of the best players all postseason. But I look at the roster of Denver, and it just looks so complete. And I know Michael Porter didn't play great, but still. And Jamal Murray had a bad game. And they still won. I look at this tandem of Jamal Murray and Jokic, and I look at all the other pieces around this Denver roster. This team, I seriously think, is going to win the West. And and I didn't believe that before this series, but after watching game one and game two, I now am confidently going to say I think Denver makes it out of the West. Solely because if Murray can just play good and Jokic just do what he does on a nightly basis regularly… That's uh, on top of the other pieces. They have so many pieces That's on the roster. Issue.
1: We, I, saw Jokic play, I saw Jokic play against in the last series. And there was games where Jokic only put up 20 points. And Jamal Murray only put up 10 points. I think Jokic has not played phenomenal in the playoffs yet. He had a great game last night. I get that. But before that, he was not playing phenomenal. It was, it was a lot of 20-point games. And Jamal Murray has been very inconsistent. And same with Michael Porter Jr., I'm not going to bet that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are going to be inconsistent. I'm going to give them one bad game, and Devin Booker didn't even have a bad game. But I'm going to I'm going to bet that Kevin Durant turns this thing around because Kevin Durant, as you said, is one of the best basketball players to live. Pair that up with Devin Booker. If Chris Paul's healthy, he can distribute the ball to Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. DeAndre Ayton, I feel like he can turn it around. We've seen what these guys have done without Kevin Durant, and now they have Kevin Durant. I get they're down 2-0. But these are some great shooters, and they play to their abilities. And Jokic, I get I get Jokic. But Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. are very inconsistent. I think that's fair to say in the playoffs. And, and, and that's very- fair.
0: But, an, but another piece on Denver you're forgetting that is also very consistent and has played really well in this postseason is Aaron Gordon. So we have Aaron Gordon. You have Candavious Caldwell-Pope. You have guys that – I'm telling you, they're, Denver is a sneaky team where they're a lot deeper than a lot of people think because you hear names – you hear – davis Caldwell Pope, you and you're like, okay, that's just another guy. You hear Aaron Gordon, and oh, that's just another guy. But they're actually putting up and and not great necessarily astronomical numbers, but they are playing really well as a full team. There, I just I look at Phoenix, and you're very top heavy. You have Kevin Durant, yes. You have Devin Booker, yes. Two unbelievable players, two of the best players in basketball. You have an old Chris Paul. You have DeAndre Ayton, who I've never been high on, who is not playing well. And then after that, who? Do you, where do you turn to? You have Josh Akogi. Like I, I look at Denver, and it's like Jokic, Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Kadavis Caldwell Pope, and I'm just, I just go down the list, and they just seem like a more complete team. And I think that is a reason you, we look at it. I mean, look at. Boston and and look at Milwaukee. And I know Milwaukee lost, but at least in terms of the regular season, teams that are the most complete are typically the better team. And and I just I look at this team roster and I see what they did in the regular season. And unlike Milwaukee, who, you know, had a blunder in, in the first round, Denver's actually playing the same way they played in the regular season. And it's just hard to stop. Do I think the series is necessarily over? No. I think there's a there is a you could make a strong case that Phoenix takes both three and four, and we're two two going back to Denver. For Game Five, but if Denver takes one of these games in Phoenix, it's over. It's over.
1: Well, I'm not betting on the on be- on one of the best players in basketball. I get Jokic is also up there, but what I've seen from Kevin Durant, time and time again, I'm I'm not doing it. Especially when, and I always throw it back when he was on the Nets. He almost beat the Bucks by himself, took it to seven games, and his toe was on the line. Kevin Durant's going to be fine. And Kevin Durant is going to take the Suns with this series. And so is Devin Booker. I'm not betting against those two. I think they're the most consistent players out of, out of both teams. And they're the two best players out of both teams. Well, I think it's you know, Devin Booker. So when you combine the, the top three players and two of them are on the same team, I'm going to take that team to win.
0: But okay. So that, okay. Kevin Durant had a bad game too. But then you look at game one. The two guys you talked about, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Durant had 29, Booker had 27, but then after that, Aiton with only 14, Chris Paul with only 11, and everybody else was in single digits. And then I look at the Denver Nuggets, Aaron Gordon, 23, Jokic, 24, Jamal Murray, 34, Bruce Brown, 14, Ken Davis Pope, 10, Michael Porter Jr., 11. It's just the completeness of the team. It's the depth of the team, and it's why I don't want to pick against them.
1: I don't have a leg to stand on. I can't argue that they got better depth, but like I said... I'm going to take the two better players. It's that's
0: that's a take as old as time with Mikey. It's just I'm, I'm taking Tom Brady because it's Tom Brady. I'm taking.
1: <laughs> I'm taking- it, it really is, and when you really look at the history of it, it usually pans out. Of course, there's some years where it doesn't pan out. Of course, but when it comes down to it, I'm taking the two better players because they've been there before, they got the experience, and they're more consistent. And let's just face it, Kevin Durant's one of the best basketball players in the world. I'm going to take Kevin Durant and turn this thing around.
0: That's fair. I guess we'll see. Um, that's what's great about the playoffs. It's gonna be a, by the time we record next next episode, who knows? It might be three, It'll two, be and I'm
1: just sitting here screwed. So.
0: <laughs> so we have a lot, but you know, it's very fluid. But one thing we now have is a lot of time to relax, decompress, and check out the NFL side of things because now after the draft, it's gonna calm down a little bit. We're gonna have a little bit of time to really look at everybody and see now that we know who their draft picks are, who they ended up signing up for. And so we have everything in front of us. We can now start to map out map out what the 2023-2024 season is actually going to look like. So with that being said, um, and, and before we go into like teams and and picks like that, in the first couple picks of the draft, you had Bryce Young to the Carolina Panthers. You had CJ Shroud to the Houston Texans. You had Anthony Richardson to the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm not going to say Will Levis. I'm going to leave him out of this one. Out of those three given the places they ended up and the pick they were picked at. Who has uh, coming in year one as a rookie? Because typically they don't – typically rookies don't have too much pressure because they're rookies, but I think it's a little different this year. Which of those three do you think has the most pressure on their shoulders going into year one?
1: Oh, it's by far Bryce Young. I mean, you sit here and you look at C.J. Stroud. Who does C.J. Stroud have around him? You got John Betts, who didn't play last year. And he's seen to play this year, which thank God that's, that's an awesome story. Um, he's got Damian Pierce, but other than that, he doesn't really have that many playmakers around him. And so CJ Stroud, I don't think anyone's going to look at like, okay, CJ Stroud didn't have a great year. Okay. He didn't have that many playmakers, That's good. And it's a first year head coach, right? Anthony Richardson, I think we all know is a project. I, I think no one expects Anthony Richardson to come in and, and put up 40 plus touchdowns and, and a winning percentage with the Colts. Um, so it's Bryce Young. What they what the Pan- Carolina Panthers have done essentially is they got Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss, who's a really good wide receiver, rookie wide receiver. They got Adam Thielen, a, a veteran who is really good to have for a rookie quarterback. They got I'm missing some. Oh, DJ Chark, a solid wide receiver out there. So they got some pieces around. I'm not going to say they're terrific pieces, but when I look at the defensive side of the ball, you got Jeremy Chin. You got you got Brian Burns. You got Shaq, Shaq Thompson. You got a lot of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. You got JC Horn, Dante Jackson. You got a lot of pieces with Frank Reach, who's a proven coach. You got a good offense coordinator from the LA Rams. I forget his name, but he's he's a good good offense coordinator. And you got uh, the Denver Broncos defense coordinator. I'm I'm blanking on his name. You know his name? I'm blanking on his name right now. I'm gonna have to fat check that. Anyway, so you got a good coaching staff. with Josh McCown at quarterback? You got pieces around, Carolina, and in a weaker division. So it's going to be Bryce Young, especially because he was the number one overall pick, and there's a lot of questions going into his size. Will he be able to, like like Kyler Murray, is the size going to be a factor? Right. So I think if you look at C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, you look at their teams and and what they were drafted at, and the expectations for them year one wasn't anything really. Maybe C.J. Stroud is a little higher than Anthony Richardson, but Bryce Young has expectations because he's regarded as a – Phenomenal athlete. I mean, people are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, so it's got to be Bryce Young. But I don't think it's fair to sit up here and say that we should expect Bryce Young to make the playoffs and throw for 30 plus touchdowns. But if we don't see the spark in the in the playmaking ability from Bryce Young, there might be a reason for concern after this year. But I don't think that's even remotely going to be true. I think Bryce Young is going to be good, but he does have the most pressure out of those three QBs.
0: So. I agree at the end of the day. Yes, in that division, he's got the weapons, he's got the coaching staff, you know. They and, and the Panthers could be a team that you that I think realistically you would expect to win the division. But I will say this the only reason I, I mean, I and like I said, I'm still saying it's Bryce Young. I will say there is a little bit of pressure on Anthony Richardson because while he is a project, he's going to have to show. I, I guess it's more of he's got to show that athleticism can be tamed into being a good quarterback because the only thing we see from Anthony Richardson this year is his mobile ability and him throwing the deep ball, and that's the only things we take away from the season. It, it's going to start raising questions because that's nothing a lot of people were concerned with. We're going to have to see him be able to read a defense. We're going to have to see him sit in the pocket and make accurate throws. We're going to have to see him limit his turnovers because, yes, he's going to have some bad throws. He's going to have some turnovers. He's going to do things that are kind of a turnoff. But we are going to have to see sparks of him being able to sit in the pocket and and make accurate throws. We're going to have to see how he throws the the short ball. We're going to have to see him be able to make right decisions and maybe hold the ball instead of force a throw, stuff that he didn't do at Florida. Because if we can see that, and even if he does, it's 50-50 split. Say half the time it's bad, half the time it's good. If you can still see that the the potential is there and it's just going to take some time because we know he has a project, then yes, but if if the turnovers are – astronomical, and it looks like he can barely throw uh, a a medium to short route ball, or he can barely read a defense at all, and it's consistent like that, then you're going to start raising the questions where how much of our project is really, and if it's really worth it. So it's going to be pressure I think more, not necessarily Anthony Richardson, but the coaching staff in Indianapolis to show that he can you know, show the steps that – because in Florida, he, he, it looked like he couldn't read – that's all on tape, I'm like, what the heck? Because the only thing I ever hear in this draft – in his draft to come up was his intangibles and, and – or his physicals and all that stuff, but I, no one ever said, go watch his game tape. So it's like, at Florida, I don't think we really saw him do a great job of reading a defense. I don't think we really saw him be able to make accurate passes in the short game, and I feel like we – we now are going to have to see that at least in year one to a degree to know that the potential is there. Cause if we don't see it hardly at all, then this is, I think a lot of people including myself are going to think this is too much of a project to deal with.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up the coach staff for the Colts because it's interesting because Shane Steichen is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts and he was the quarterback's coach for Jalen Hurts, right? What was Jalen Hurts really bad at, at Alabama? Reading a defense and throwing the football, right? He went to Oklahoma, and he definitely polished up and was a lot better than Anthony Richardson was. So it leads me to believe that Shane Steichen looked at Anthony Richardson. So These are the similar traits of Jalen Hurts. I think he's more explosive. He's got a better arm. But similar traits. Was an accurate passer. Can do it with his feet. Big, strong athlete. Look what he did to Jalen Hurts. I know we're not high on Jalen Hurts. The man made a Super Bowl and put up good passing passing stats. So I think Shane Steichen is going to take Anthony Richardson, implement the same system as, as they did with Jalen Hurts, and I can see it working out. That's why when they pick Anthony Richardson at number four, even though I thought it was going to be Will Levis, that's why I was like, okay, it, it does make sense because Shane Steichen is now the head coach of that team. So I think Anthony Richardson, I know this is going to get off topic, but I think he might be in the best position to succeed out of both of these quarterbacks for the long term. for The sole fact that Shane Steichen has done it with a similar player in a similar offense because they got the defensive players. They're starting to build up the offensive side. So I think Anthony Richardson, I agree with you. When I watch the game tape, he can't read the defense. That's, that's apparent. But he only had one year playing, right? One year playing. I think if you can actually get Anthony Richardson in the building, sit him down, and he's able to learn the offense and he's able to read the defense, I think he could be a good player. But you're right. He's a very raw talent. It's going to be really interesting to see if Sean Steichen can do the same thing he did with Anthony with Jalen Hurts' with Anthony Richardson he did the same thing with Jalen Hurts.
0: So now, going from that, it leads me to my next one, and I think in this next one, I'm going to – now I'm going to go team-based, and it's going to be who we think had the best draft. And I think if you say – honestly, you can make an argument for a couple teams, but I think if you were to say anyone other than the Philadelphia Eagles, you'd be kind of kidding yourself. Um, the Eagles
1: – I'd say we throw them out because – Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't even want to say that. And, and not I'll eating.
0: And I'll address it. I mean, great draft, getting DeAndre Swift for what they got him for. I, oh my goodness, the Eagles are going to be a handful, and and they might. David have
1: been- Carter and Nolan Smith. I mean, two teammates. And before we get into that, I want to bring up one point that I was I was thinking about the other day, and I don't see why teams don't do this, and and it, and it's kind of crazy. And the Eagles are doing it, and it's and it's proven to work. Why do you not draft players from championship teams? I don't care if their production maybe wasn't as great. Or maybe their athletic ability is maybe not as great. If they have success on a championship-level team like Alabama, Georgia, these types of teams, why are there not more players taken from those teams higher? It doesn't make sense. It's it, The Eagles have proven it. These Georgia players, like they drafted a corner, Keelan Ringo, I guarantee you he's going to be good. He faced a great load of talent at Georgia. He went up against some great playmakers. Yeah, he was drafted in the fifth round, but if you're starting on that championship defense, you got to be somewhat talented, right? Not so he won in the fifth round.
0: I think that's part of the reason the, the Chargers took Setson Bennett. I, I really do, as high as he did. Rams. I thought, uh, Ram, sorry, sorry, I've yeah, um, like because I I don't think he supposed to be picked that high. I think he, he could have fallen to later rounds and it'd still be the same thing. I think that's part of the reason they picked him as well because if you look at him on paper, it's nothing crazy. It's just what he did at Georgia and it being Georgia that says something yeah um, and did it for two years in a row um so I won't say I won't, we won't say the Eagles I'll you know what I'll go ahead and give mine um and this one might b- baffle you a little bit and when I'm saying this this team I think won the draft is not necessarily I'm not necessarily just referring to this year I'm just saying this just caps off where I think they've won the past couple of drafts and that's the Houston Texans I think the Texans have done have set themselves up great with just they've got enough veterans at at certain positions and they also have just enough youth but the texans especially in that division which i know they have trevor lawrence and the jaguars but especially in that division texas couldn't really shock some people um i look at i look at it you have cj stroud which i think he's very i think he's not necessarily as much of a project i think cj stroud's nfl ready to be honest with you and he's got the size over bryce young and he's got i think more of the the quarterback intangibles over Anthony Richardson, where you could have made a case where he was maybe the best quarterback in the draft. You and I both like Bryce Young, we do, and I will say Bryce Young, but you could make the case because he's got the size over Bryce Young and he's got the the, the, the not the veteran presence, but the the quarterback presence in terms of little stuff like stuff that Anthony Richardson struggles with, rating a defense, you know, whatever. So, you got CJ Stroud, you got Damian Pierce coming to a second year who proved to be a Solid running back in the NFL, and I think he has a very bright future. You have John Meachie. You have you brought in Robert Woods, who is a veteran presence and is going to be good to have for C.J. Stroud, almost like the Adam Thielen with with Carolina. I think Thielen's more of an upgrade, but still, Robert Woods is a good receiver to have. Nico Collins. You brought in Dalton Schultz, which is going to be a great dump-off guy for C.J. Stroud. Um, You have a a solid offensive line with Larry Tunsil. And then I look at the defensive side of the ball – I'm not gonna go into the depth of everything, but they also in this draft in later round drafted Henry Teoto from Alabama, who, like just to your point you just made, um, who had a very, very, very good co- collegiate career at Tennessee and Alabama. You have Derek Stingley and you have Jaden Petre or Jalen Petre in your secondary. The Texans, I think, have done a master class in the this, this draft. Oh, I didn't even mention Will Anderson. I mean, come on. So Texans, I think, have really, really set themselves up. Maybe not for in, instant success, but especially when you look at that division, it, success in the next two, three years, I think is is very possible for the Texans, and I love the Stroud and Will Anderson pick just to cap off the previous first-round picks they've had the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, my issue with the Texans is if you're going to draft C.J. Stroud, you've got to draft an offensive weapons, and they didn't do that this draft. They just didn't. I mean, you got John Metch, you got Robert Woods, you got Damian Pierce, but let's face it, Damian Pierce was hurt. He didn't have already, and you, you, they did sign... um Damn it. What's his name from the Buffalo Bills? Stingley? Sting- What's his name? Backup running back. Help me out here.
0: Uh, Devin um, Singletary.
1: Singletary. You did get him, but he, he's an okay backup. Outside of John Mechie, who is basically going to be a rookie, you got an old Robert Woods. You don't have – C.J. Schlebb not throwing the ball to anybody. How are you going to possibly how to help out a rookie quarterback who, let's face it, maybe doesn't know how to read the defense because he was thrown to Jackson Smith and Jigba. He was thrown to Marvin Harris. He was thrown to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, guys who were always open. How are you helping out CJ Stroud? So for that sole fact, I, I I would not put the Texans up there. I do like the pieces they brought in. But if you're going to draft a rookie quarterback, I think I think the blueprint's there that you need to have playmakers around a rookie quarterback in order for him to succeed early on. Not saying that, that he's not going to be good, as to your point, I think they'll be good in a couple of years. But for the sole purpose of winning the draft and being good now, I don't think they did. And a team that I'm going to pick that, one, I do really want to pick the Steelers. I want to throw that out there because I really think we hammered every single pick. But I'm going to go a different direction just for the sole fact that I don't want to be a homer and pick my team. But I do think we are up there for one of the best drafts. And we'll talk about them later. We'll talk about your Dolphins later. But a team that I was kind of baffled by that their first two picks, not even the first two picks, the first pick, I was like, why would they go there? But the Detroit Lions... I love Jameer Gibbs, and you know how much I'm high on Jameer Gibbs. I think he is a solid running back. I don't know if he's better than Bijan Robinson, but I don't think it's it's off by a mile if, you, if you're going to sit here and say they're really close. You traded DeAndre Swift, who let's face it, DeAndre Swift's a good player, but how many times did he really play? It was Jamal Williams all last year, right? So now you got a stud running back to help out Jerry Goff. You got Jack Campbell, who I think is an underrated linebacker. He's now going to be paired up with Aiden Hutchinson. So you got the defensive end in Aiden Hutchinson. You got Jack Campbell. And then you lose TJ Hawkinson, but you draft another Iowa State um, tight end in Sam Laporte, Laporta, who is probably the best passing catching tight end besides Dalton Kincaid. So now you got the tight end position filled. And then at pick number 45, you get Brian Branch with CJ Gardner Johnson now. And you got Cam Sun. And you got Tyree Wilson now. The Lions are now set up for success. And then I love the pick with QB Hendon Hooker. Jared Goff, after three years, you could plug in Handon Oaker, see if he's good. Maybe after two years. I think they have literally filled every need on the offensive side of the ball now with playmakers and the defensive side of the ball. They killed their draft. And I would go with Detroit Lions. And nobody was high on the Jameer Gibbs pick, but I am. He was he's an absolute steal. He's a really good player. And Jared Goff is going, has another playmaker around him now.
0: Now. Ah, the only thing about that is too, though, I I would have liked, because there were a lot of receivers in this draft, I would have liked a receiver.
1: Um, See, and I'm going to debate you on that. Out of these such, Jackson, Smith, and Jigbo, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, the guys that were picked in the first round, you could argue Jalen Hyde, but he fell to the third round. There wasn't that many. This was a defensive side of draft. This was a deep defensive side of the draft. There wasn't a lot of offensive players. There really wasn't. I mean – I, I I really I can't, really can't name you. Jonathan Mingo was a good is a good wide receiver. But you got some some of these guys coming from smaller schools that were getting drafted in the second third round. There wasn't a lot of guys like I need to get this guy in the second round. So what did they do? They got the good tight ends because the tight end group was really deep. The running back group was not as deep, so they picked their guy at running back. And they they have a decent wide receiver core with model Ross, St. Brown. You know they're missing a couple pieces there that they they still got Jamison Williams. So when he comes back, you got Jamison Ramil- Williams. Ma Ross St. Brown, you got a good tight end now, and you got a good running back. I think those needs are filled. And for a wide receiver class that's not deep, I didn't think they had to reach for a wide receiver. And they got Brian Branch. They could have easily picked a wide receiver there, but you picked a safety from Alabama who can also play corner that helps your defense out now.
0: Now, out of all these picks, who will we'll reach more? We'll go like maybe like fourth round and, and later, or unless we think someone got picked higher than they probably should have. What do you think was the best sleeper pick? A guy that you know you think could come in that was maybe picked in a later round and have an immediate impact. Um because for me, I love and especially in this a big part of this is going is is the situation that he's going into. I love Jalen Hyatt to the Giants. I think he has the potential now to have an immediate impact on that offense, because yes, they they did add some weapons that receiving core, but I'm sorry, I I'm, I'm not. I think Isaiah Hodgins, Paris Campbell, and Darius Slayton are good, solid receivers to have, but you don't have your elite number one, borderline two. Um, and I think Hyatt, especially given his skill set, his speed, has the ability to come in and have, as long as he can stay healthy have an immediate impact on the Giants offense and give Daniel Jones that help. I think he is going to have a huge year. And that is someone we all need to keep our eyes out for, because I think if he goes to a different situation, maybe I'm not saying the same thing, but <laughs> him going, him going to the Giants, I think it was the best possible situation for him. And I think he can have a huge impact, at least statistically um, next year.
1: No, you know, I wasn't huge on Jalen high, but I think if he was going to land anywhere, that's, that's a great place to place to land. The Giants are a weird team because they, they're filled with a bunch of number two and number three wide receivers. Really good number twos or good number twos, really good number threes now, but not a true number one. They got Darren Wall, obviously, at the tight end position. But you pair him up with Darius Lane, Sterling Shepard, Paris Paris Campbell, not Paris Campbell. Is it Paris Campbell? Yeah, it's yes. Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell from Ohio State. Um, you pair him up with those guys. I mean, that's a lot of speed on that offensive side of the ball. Jalen Howitt is going to get open eventually. So I do think that was a really good pick. I think he fits the system really well. I think Daniel Jones now really has no excuses. But a guy I like, and I think you're going to get a little bit mad about this guy because you talked about him way before, way before. And as you said, you said this guy was good and he got injured. And it's his teammate, Cedric Tillman. I think he is going to be – I think he's better than Jalen Hyatt. I really do. His ability to get the the 50-50 ball is unbelievable. He high points the ball. He's very fast. He can run almost every route for his size. I think he's going to be a really good player if he could stay healthy. I think if he was healthy all season, he would have been a first-round wide receiver. That's the talent I think he has. And the Browns get about 74, so then I can pair him with Amari Cooper. I think it's a really good wide receiving court, and it takes a lot for me to say that because I hate the Browns. But Cedric Tillman is going to be a good wide receiver, and I'm willing to bet Cedric Tillman is going to be better than Jam High.
0: I disagree.
1: I think Hot take. You were you said it yourself. I was high when before before
0: before the college football season even started. I remember that I was at I was with you, yeah. um, and yeah, I, I. It's kind of funny we picked Hyatt and Tillman and Tennessee only has an Orange Bowl to show for it, but whatever. But uh, was
1: there's there's another guy that that I really like, and that's Darius Rush. I always talked about him. I thought Darius Rush was really good. He went 158 to the Colts. This, I mean, the cornerbacks in this draft. I don't remember a draft like this, if I'm being completely honest. I don't know if you watched like day one, day two, day three. I don't know what you watched, but I watched every single pick because I'm an idiot. But there is a this defensive draft was so deep. And I don't remember a draft ever being this deep. I really think Darius Rush, I think in two years we're gonna look at him like in Mike Hilton, and maybe a slot guy in Mike Hilton or um there's another slot guy out there that's really good. But Darius Rush at 158 to the Colts, I think was a steal of a pick. They got two corners now, Julius. At least Ken from Ken, Kansas State they got in the second round. But Darius Rush I really think could be a, a number one slot corner at 158. I think that was a steal of the draft. I wanted Darius Rush for the Steelers as well. But that's a guy to look out for too. I think especially maybe not early on in the year. We're going to hear his name a lot. But I think later on we like, dude, this Darius Rush kid, where was he picked? And it was like, yeah, 158. He's going to be good. He's a coverage corner. He can do it all almost. Not afraid to tackle either, which is a huge part of his game as well. So.
0: Well, before we conclude, I'll let you have your um, your 60 seconds of fun with the Steelers. Because, I mean, I like the Dolphins draft. I thought Cam Smith was a weird pick um, just because it wasn't necessarily a, an immediate need for us. Um, but I guess for the value we got him at in the second round when he could have been a potential first-round talent was there. So I guess I see that. And, you know, Xavier Howard is getting old. Um, so I guess – that is maybe the reason there, but I do like Cam. I've known Cam for a long time, so trust me. The fact that he's going to the Dolphins makes me super happy. Um, and then, I mean, I think we filled needs, but it was nothing that was like a home-run splash. The Dolphins just had a B-graded draft, but also we didn't have that many picks. So not really much for me to talk about, but I know you're high on the Steelers right now. You haven't shut up about it every time I talk to you, so I'm going to let you have your fun, talk about the Steelers Ooh. and how great of a draft they have. It doesn't matter, though. I hope you know that because being in the AFC, and I just take it from a Dolphin, being in the AFC, it, I don't even, like, it's hard for me to care anymore.
1: See, here's the thing. Don't, don't ruin my phone, Willie. Don't say that because here's the thing. I've not been this excited about the Steelers football since I wasn't this excited when we got Kenny Pickett. You know me. I, I yelled at, I yelled in the bar that we got Kenny Pickett. and it wasn't high on him. And um, I'm, I'm starting to warm up to him a little bit. I'm starting to really like Kenny Pickett and, and hopefully he will be good. But dude. My mock draft, I mean, I had, I wanted Joey Porter. I thought he was going to go 16 to to Washington. They picked Emmanuel Forbes, who I think is really good, but very undersized. Um, but we get Broderick Jones. I think he was the second best off at the tackle. I don't think Darnell Wright is going to be good for Chicago. I didn't. He had one good year, and that was it. But Broderick Jones led up zero sacks in two years, and he's 21 years old, A-plus-head. I mean, now Kenny Pickett has got a right tackle or left tackle, whichever one he's going to play. Um and he's, his blind side is going to be protected. And then to get Joey Porter at the 32nd overall pick, is he's a lockdown quarter. I mean, they You're welcome. It. You're welcome. For what?
0: The, the Dolphins, bless you to have that pick.
1: Yeah, because you guys have to tamper because you guys are a shit organization, right? Okay.
0: All right, well, 16 to 13.
1: Hey, anyway, I'm just saying, I did not think there was a scenario where we could get Roger Jones and Joey Porter. I thought one of them, was going to be drafted before us, um, but we we got both of them. So now we got a lockdown corner with a franchise left tackle. And then at at the time, I don't know why we picked – oh, wait, I'm skipping one. And then we got the guy from Wisconsin, the defensive tackle, Keyshawn Buitt, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, who I wasn't really – I really didn't know much about him, but after watching his game tape, apparently he was the second-best defensive tackle in, in the entire draft, and we got him at 46 or 49. We do not have a defensive line. So just, just those three picks. i only go over those three picks because there, there's a lot of other picks. And obviously we got Darnell Washington, a guy who's 6'7, 270 pounds. He's basically a sixth offensive lineman who's really going to help our run game. We felt we filled every need we need to, especially on the offensive side of the ball and the defense side of the ball. This is the first time I can actually say I think Steelers football is coming back in the right direction. And I know you say the AFC is going to be hard. I get it. But when you got this many guys on the defensive side of the ball and we drafted well, I'm telling you, I'm going to take Najee Harris with the number one overall pick in fantasy because all we're going to do is fucking run the goddamn football.
0: Well, I just want you to know, just before we conclude this, I could still probably name about seven teams I'd take over the Steelers. So
1: I'm locking this in. Steelers are winning our division. Locking it in.
0: You're taking, You're beating the Bengals.
1: I, I'm locking it in right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm not high on Lamar. And we're going. We're going to get into our AFC predictions. We're doing that throughout the off and we're obviously going to talk about free agency whenever that comes back around again. But I'm telling you now, just to ruin the fun, taking the Steelers to win the division—it's going to happen.
0: Oh, oh, Matt Canada. oh,
1: the only reason we don't do it is because of Matt Canada.
0: Oh, oh, oh. Just you wait. Because I'm taking the Dolphins to win the AFC East. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a because I'm I'm a Dolphins fan. i I mean that with everything in my body. Because I've thought I've had time to think about this. I've listened to other professionals give their take on the Aaron Rodgers thing, and it's not as big of a home run as everyone's starting to make this out to be. This so man. I'm just saying Tua comes back healthy. You say this thing about Matt Canada. Tua comes back healthy. The Dolphins win the AFC East. The Bills do not scare me anymore, and Aaron Rodgers old ass doesn't scare me anymore.
1: I would be scared of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, well he can be
0: scared I of Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. Yeah, suck it. Anyway, all right. So with that being said, that'll conclude this episode of That Damn Sports Podcast. We did not mention this at the beginning, so I'm kind of pissed. But if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, um listen, uh go tune in to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your major streaming platforms at that damn sports podcast DAM. You can also follow us on all our socials Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at also at that damn sports podcast D um we'll get back with you guys sometime here in the near future hopefully next week um to discuss all things basketball because by that time basketball is going to be even crazier than it already is um and we'll start getting into some of our nfl offseason um guides so as always thanks for listening to this episode of that damn sports podcast we'll see you guys next week peace